If you're looking for great Christian content, we want to encourage you to check out peachtreepress.org. Peachtree Press LLC offers digital products, journals, books, Bible study guides, sermon outlines, Christian blogs, and church notebooks for children and adults. Some products are also available as print on demand. Peachtree Press is a sponsor of this program and a partner in offering authentic Christian content. For more information, check out peachtreepress.org. Welcome back, rappers, to our fourth season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. If you haven't already done it, please hit that subscribe button or follow us for content on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com for sermons, weekly blogs, books, study guides, and lots of free stuff. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's program. Uh, If you have your Bibles, open up to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. So the last time uh, that I was in here on Wednesday night, uh, we were uh, in Romans 4. We covered Romans 5 on a Sunday morning. And so we continue our, our thoughts here in this wonderful book. Uh, we're starting now a devotional series. Uh, started this morning, actually. Uh, challenged to read through all of the letters of Paul in 30 days. Uh, we're, we're working on next month's, uh, which will be the month of December, and I'm also planning on starting in January doing Genesis, reading Genesis in, in 30 days. And so each month will be a challenge to read through the books, and I hope that you'll participate in that. So our devotionals each morning for On Point have to do with the sections of Scripture, and I, uh, I've been studying through these chapters, even though I was studying Romans, doing it again, preparing for this, uh, for the On Point series, and I was really excited to read through Romans 6, and then again through Romans 8, and Romans 12. These are great chapters, a lot of very fascinating material and important material for us to see the, the work of God in the church today. So this particular section of Scripture, I think this chapter uh, in chapter 6 is about sanctification. It's about being clean. To be able to be sanctified means to be clean or cleansed, so it's a fresh new start. Uh, there are times where, uh, for instance, today I came home, Missy's not been feeling well, and I said, is there anything I can do? And she goes, actually, yes. Could you take the dishes out of the dishwasher? And I said, yeah, I can do that. And I, uh, I went and did that. Now, I did not put the dishes in the dishwasher. I know that I probably should, but we have a sink full of dishes. I'll do them when I get home. But um, I've done dishes my whole life. And uh, I know that uh, as in, in high school, I worked as a manager for a store, and I always did the dishes at night because I can do them the cleanest and the fastest. And my owner, uh, the owner of the store, manager, the manager over me said, I want you to train three people when I moved to Alabama. You train three people to do it how you do it. And I did. And every time I came back in town, she'd call me and say, could you just come work one more night and show them how to do the dishes? So I have always been a clean freak on, on food items anyways. I don't like my fork to be dirty at the table or my plate. It just kind of bothers me. And it's because when I was a child, my mother had a point system. And the point system works like this. If you did a certain chore, you got a point. If the, if the chore was a little more difficult, you got two points. So, for instance, if you dusted the house, you might get two points. Vacuum the house, you get three points. And once you reach five points, you can do something. You can go out with your friends. You can do whatever you want. And so... Uh, I would always try to rack up as many points as I possibly could. You know, my brother was smart. 
he just said, hey, I'm going to go to Point Friday night. So he'd pop the ice trays, there's one. He'd wait the next day, pop them again, there's two, you know. And then he'd vacuum, go, done for the week. Uh, but I was, I was more wanting to get the points on that board, sometimes 20, 30, 40, until I realized every time my mom got mad, she'd just go, you're starting over, and wipe them all off. But one of the reasons why I'm such uh, like that when, when it comes to dishes is because I sat down to eat one day, and I pulled up my fork, and there was food on the back side of the fork. And I was like, disgusting. Oh, this is terrible. And my mom goes, you're going to eat off that fork. I said, I am not. I'm not eating off that fork. And she said, you're the one that did the dishes. And so that is not clean because you didn't clean it. So either you're going to eat with that fork or you're going to go wash the fork and do dishes after we get done here. And I was like, you know, okay. But I, it's, it's, it's hard when you have a piece of silverware you're going to be eating with or a drink or a plate and it's got something on it. So we like to be clean. We like to be clean. And when it comes to being a Christian, it's hard to stay clean because we live in a dirty world. It's like putting somebody in a completely white outfit and having them run through a mud puddle. It's, it's nearly impossible to get through the world without having some spot of sin. And so what the blood of Jesus does is it completely cleanses us and then provides a continual cleansing. Uh, not long ago, I got a membership down here to one of these car washes, and it was like, I think it was like $10 a month, which was the best that they had. And so I could get it vacuumed and washed anytime I drove by it. I would go do that. Uh, and so it's nice to be able to know that you can have some kind of a, a continual cleansing if needed. And the continual cleansing of the blood of Jesus is available to those who are in Christ. So let's focus on, just to start, verses 1 through 14. It says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also should be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead, indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of the righteousness of God. For sin has not dominion over you, you are not under law, but under grace. I have that verse underlined there, verse 14 and verse 12, to see the instruction that, that, that uh, Paul hopes we will heed when it comes to following uh, Jesus. Now, let's go back and start at the first part. So, one of the things that usually when you ask people, what do you know about the churches of Christ? Uh, when they give you a list of things that they've heard or maybe that they know or they have family or friends that are in the church, one of the things that they will usually bring up is baptism. It fascinates me, it really does, that more religious groups do not teach immersion as it's taught in the Bible. 
sometimes that's because they have changed the words or they have changed the meaning of the words in the Bible. Uh, in fact, I had a conversation with someone just, in, just a few weeks ago that uh, was asking about baptizing their child and uh, said, you know, we want you to do this. Would you be willing to do this? And I said, well, let's talk about what baptism means. Uh, they ended up going to a different church because they wanted the child to be an, an older child, but um, to be uh, poured on, poured water over. And uh, what's the difference, they ask. And there's people that ask that. What's the difference? What, it's water. If, if you're pouring water over someone's head, isn't that symbolic of a cleansing of the entire body? And so, uh, and there are other religious groups that teach that you don't even have to pour the water, that you can just actually sprinkle it. You know, you could flick water at them. Um, and it's kind of like, you know, if you ever out in the, in the car and you're driving and it just starts to mist a little bit and you're like, I don't need the windshield wipers. <laughs> That's kind of like just a little flick of water. You're like, eh, I'm not going to throw on the intermittent wipers. I'm just going to let it go. But some people do that. They just spritz a little water on them and they, they're done. But the Bible plainly teaches in the book of Acts that immersion, that's the word actually in Greek, immersion, is what is a necessity for a Christian. We have to be fully immersed. And then when you understand, you read Acts and you see all those examples of immersion into water and then being raised up, then Romans 6 makes complete sense. Because he says you need to go down into the water and you need to come back up. It's a death. So really there's three parts to uh, the, the baptism experience. The first is the going down, the dying, the being put into the grave. And literally you are fulfilling the, the gospel. You're going down into the grave as Jesus went down into the grave. And then you resurrect, you come up out of that water, raise up to walk a new life. And then the third step, of course, is staying faithful in that particular walk. So when we see our state of sin and we want to get out of it, the only way is to do it God's way. Uh, if I want to be able to make myself right with God, then I have to do what God says is right. It's that simple. And so there's a lot of things people teach regarding salvation. Uh, there's even a, a track uh, at a church I was visiting one time said the Roman road to salvation. And they completely skipped over chapter 6 like it doesn't exist. You know, it's just like it's not there. It's just not there. But Romans 6 is the key to understanding the gospel. This is how you get into Christ and this is how you raise up to walk in a, new, in a new life. Now, this is also consistent with John chapter 3. Remember, he tells Nicodemus, unless you're born of water and spirit, can't enter the kingdom of God. Uh, and the kingdom of God, Matthew 16, is referenced as the church. Jesus says, I build my church. Uh, the gates of Hades not prevail against it. I give you the keys of the kingdom, he says to Peter. So when Peter is preaching on Pentecost, he then says you need to be baptized in water, obviously, for the mission of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So there's John chapter 3 applied in Acts chapter 2, that there is water and there is the Spirit. What Romans does is he shows the same thing. There is the water, chapter 6, and there is the Holy Spirit, chapter 8. And they go together, just like a hand to a glove. So we have to die to our sin, and we have to be raised up by the grace of God. Uh, and there are sometimes people get dunked. You know, they, they, they go through the process of doing those things, but uh, to be raised up in the blood of Jesus is to know the intent of it. You know, I've taken a lot of baths in my life. I've swam in a lot of swimming pools, but those were not salvation experiences. The salvation experience is when I confess the precious name of Jesus 
And when I believe wholeheartedly that he will raise me up from that grave, water grave of baptism, and give me a new life and fill me with his spirit, at that moment, salvation comes. And so the burial is important, the resurrection is important, and the walking with Christ is important. So it's the believer's reckoning, I think is what I put on the notes in verse 11, it's the believer's reckoning to be dead to sin. Uh, we, we need to do a better job of understanding, and myself included, when we talk to people about being a Christian, we have to remind them that we have to leave our old lives behind. There are sins, you know, you heard Joel just a few weeks ago came up and, and asked for prayers, and he said, you know, it's so hard once you put on Christ to stay in the light, because the darkness has a drawing power. It's so much easier to walk in the darkness, because nobody cares what you're doing. You can do whatever you want. Um, you're not out in the light. People may not even see what you're doing, but you just live your life and do your thing. But being in the light means you are under constant evaluation. And everywhere you go as you walk in the light, you are seen, you are visible. And so uh, that's a difficult thing for us. And we have to communicate to people when they become a New Testament Christian, there are some things they've got to take off, they've got to get rid of. And you just don't, simply don't, pack, don't pick it up again. So it's our reckoning to sin. It's also our responsibility to practice self-control. Uh, remember the fruit of the Spirit? Uh, in Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23, uh, Paul basically gives the previously the works of the flesh, and then he said, here's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what's the last one? Self-control. Why is it last? You know, I think that you'd need self-control first, right? You'd think, well, I need to be self-controlled by having love, joy, peace. Self-control, I believe, is at the end of the list because it's the most difficult, you know? I, I have no tr trouble telling you what you need to do right? Uh, we have no problem telling other people what they need to do to get their act together. But when I look at my own life, that staring back in the mirror, you know, looking deep into my heart, the intents and thoughts, are they what God desires? It's a whole lot more difficult to hear it from somebody else. Somebody comes to you and says, you know, you really shouldn't be doing that. Who are you to lecture me? You know, don't tell me what to do, but I can tell you what to do. Uh, there comes a point where we need to have uh, an, a, a, basically a spiritual check where we say, am I living up to my highest ability, capability as a Christian? And the best way to gauge your spiritual life is to see how many things you refuse to do. Not what you do, but what you refuse to do. What have you said no to? In your life, what have you said, not going to do it? Now think about it. We are the ones who can put limitations upon ourselves. Nobody can tell you. They can tell you what to do, but you have free will. You can do whatever you want. But what limitations have you said no to? Or do you predominantly say yes? Self-control is knowing when not to do things. It's when to not say something. It's when not to go somewhere. It's when not to eat something or drink something or smoke something or whatever. It's when you say, I'm not going to watch that. I'm not going to listen to that. I'm not going to participate in this conversation. How many times do we tell ourselves no? This idea is planted here in Romans 6 that we walk a new life and we're going to have to learn that the best way to live and keep myself clean is to say no to things that I want. And that's because the flesh often wants things that are going to be temporarily uh, entertaining, uh, temporarily 
uh, fulfilling, but in the long run, uh, because so much more pain. And it's much more difficult once we have to live with the guilt or the regret of the things that we've done. But baptism gives this clean slate. So when you raise up to walk out of that baptistry or wherever you were baptized at, some may have a creek, swimming pool, jacuzzi, it doesn't matter. You come up out of that water, your mindset should be, I don't want to have the thoughts and feelings I did before I went in. I want to know that I'm saved. I want to know that I'm walking right with God. I want to know that my prayers are heard. And what God does in a beautiful way, and he had in the foreknowledge before even uh, the law was even conceived, that God would bring about his church. And we have a, a wonderful privilege to be among other believers that are doing the same thing. It's a whole lot easier for me to follow the rules if I'm around people that are also rule followers, right? But if you're around people who are constantly wanting to test the rules or break the rules or just walk that fine little line between the rules, they're going to influence you to do bad stuff. So it makes sense that God would say, hey, I'm going to put a refuge here where you can be around other people who say, I want to be clean. And you know what? It's, it's actually more fun than most people think. Some people think as Christians, we don't have any fun at all. You know, that we're just boring and we, you know, we, I mean, we got all kinds of fun things that happen. You know, as Christians, we can smile, we can laugh, we can rejoice with many good things. And, uh, and so it's not that you become a Christian and all of a sudden you're, you know, you're just boring. There is a whole lot more to the walk of a Christian. But as we start that walk, after our baptism, we have to constantly evaluate, is this going to help me in my walk or is it going to hinder me in my walk? Is this going to be something that is beneficial to me? It's going to help increase my spirit or is it something that's going to really drag me down? Uh, Hebrews does a great job of this in chapter 12 when it talks about laying aside all the weights, all the things that kind of weigh us down, cause us concern. And, uh, and we have from time to time given stuff to God. We say, Lord, I don't want this anymore. Take this off my hands. And then we go to sleep, wake up the next morning, and we pick it right back up again. So as a Christian, I should try to avoid as many things as I can that would hinder my walk. Um, sometimes that means I've got to be careful the places I go, not just the people I'm around, but the places I go. Um, if you have a problem with alcoholism, you know, if you've had a problem drinking in the past, it's very difficult to go places where alcohol is served. Uh, if you have a problem with, let's say somebody has a problem with pornography, it's difficult every time you get on your computer or you're using your smartphone. So you have to set up parameters of self-control to say, I'm not going to allow this to happen to me again. Uh, and, and it's very hard because there are times, especially when we're alone, that we feel like we can do whatever we want to do. But a real life as a Christian is being sacrificial. Uh, Jesus says, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. And so there are going to be times you have to tell yourself no. And it's tough, but it is something that's necessary if we're going to stay clean. Uh, let's look also at verses 15 through 23 real quick, and then we'll take some, th some thoughts. He says, what then? Uh, shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. 
For just as you presented your members as slaves to uncleanliness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? In other words, what benefit was it? Now you're disappointed all the things you used to do. For the end of those things is death. But now, verse 22, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you had your fruit to holiness and to the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And that's a good one to memorize, to mark down, uh, to, to consider over and over and over again as you study the book of Romans. So we're no longer slaves of sin. In other words, when you make the choice to get sin out of your life, it doesn't dominate you. It does not have authority over you. Uh, when you are in Christ, all things are made new. Now, this, is a, this is a difficult concept because one of the hardest things for us to do is to forgive ourselves. But recognize this. The blood of Jesus Christ is comprehensive. It's overwhelming. It is grace-driven. And when you go down into that water, it doesn't matter what you've done. doesn't matter how egregious the sin might have been. You can be completely forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the promise he's made, and that's the promise he'll keep. This promise is made, Acts chapter 2, to all who are far off. Anybody who receives the gospel has the promise of eternal life. And that means what you did is gone. Now, the Bible has dozens of references to how you can conceive this, whether it's separated as far as the east is from the west, buried in the depth of the ocean, scattered along the seashore, remembered no more, blotted out. There are dozens of scriptures that say what God does with the sin. He chooses not to look at it. He blots it out. He gets you a clean slate, like my mom used to do when I get in trouble. Wipe out all those, those, those points of goodness that I worked so hard for. Whenever we're walking with Christ, we're clean. Now, if you're completely clean, how are you going to get dirty again? How are you going to get dirty again? You have to go back to the mud, right? You go back to the sin. And that's where repentance comes in. Repentance may be the hardest part about the salvation process. Because it's easy to say, I want to be saved, I want to go to heaven. I want to be saved, I want to go to heaven. It's harder to say, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. Except maybe, you know, maybe once or twice. But I'm not going to do it all the time because I know God's grace will forgive me. And he argues that here. Should you continue in sin? God's gracious, so should you just keep on sinning and every time say, forgive me, Lord, forgive me, Lord. You know, or slide open a window and say, hey, how many this and that do I got to do to receive forgiveness? None of that matters. What matters is the blood of Jesus Christ is comprehensive if you keep walking in the light. In 1 John chapter 1, John does a great job in verses 7 through 10 explaining about what it means to walk in the light as he is in the light. And that means that I, I get rid of the sins that were committed in darkness, and I walk a clean life. Um, if we decide to, to go somewhere and we say, I'm going to go clean up, you don't put on a dirty shirt, you know, or you don't put on dirty shoes. Uh, if you're trying to clean up, you want to look clean. You want to be able to have an appearance. And before God, we need a clean disposition. That means our minds ought to be clean, our mouths ought to be clean. Our hearts ought to be clean, not just the clothes that we wear, but everything on the inside. And that's where the Pharisees lost their view of godliness. They did not see that the inside is really the most important part. David was chosen 
Uh, not because he looked the part. He certainly didn't. He's just a little boy out taking care of some sheep. He's the least of all his brothers. But David was chosen as king because he had a heart like God. And many times in Scripture, the great men and women of, of God's Word have a heart like God. And so if we want to be saved and we want to continue to walk in the light, we've got to let go of the things that got us dirty in the first place and also avoid certain sins. Now, there are some that Paul will say, flee from it, run from it, get as far away from it as you possibly can. Um, other things he says, just simply avoid. Now, this is, this is an important thought. I want to close with this, and then we'll have some questions and thoughts. Remember that just because you've been forgiven by the blood of Jesus, and just because you're walking in the light as he is in the light, do not think that that reduces the temptations that will be in your path. In fact, it's pretty clear from Scripture that the temptations and trials that you will face as a Christian will be greater than anything you faced previously. Paul has to tell Timothy, all who are in godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If you're in Christ, that means there is a bullseye on you 24-7. And you have an enemy that has not only, he didn't just start, he's not a Johnny-come-lately. You know, our enemy, the devil, since the garden has been plotting how to destroy the lives of humanity. And he knows what sins you committed. He watches, just as God watches over you, the devil, he's not, he can't be everywhere at all times. But the devil knows. And so he is seeking whom he may devour. So he knows the sins. He doesn't have to work on the world. He's already got them. He's not out there tempting them. They're already in. They're already on his side. So he, he uh, activates all of his arsenal the entire arsenal that he has available to him, all the powers of hell are directed towards you and towards every other Christian on this planet. And so he knows what it's going to take to trip you up. He, he does the same thing to Job. He goes to God and says, well, you know, he put a hedge around him. He, of course he's not going to sin. And so there are times even when Jesus, he uses the three temptations, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life to try to trip Jesus up. It doesn't work. He even twists scripture and it doesn't work. So the devil knows what you will do in order to give in to sin. So that means you need to hug the light as much as you possibly can. If you're going to stay powered up, how many of you have ever had your phone, you look down on it and you got 2%, you know? Misty has a thing on her phone where it beeps when I'm down to like 5%. And so she'll like text me or she'll call her to the next room, hey, battery's about to die, I could care less. I don't, it dies, that just means, you know, it's dead, I'll just plug it in later. But we, sometimes we may get annoyed when we have a call coming or we want to be able to, to watch a video or something and we pull it up and we go, oh no, my battery is gone. We want to keep that thing recharged. I know people that carry battery packs in their purse and backpack and locker and car and I mean, they may even have one hidden at the doctor's office. They got them everywhere. They got these little portable battery packs. Someone's going to keep it charged, keep it charged, keep it charged. And I like those people because when mine's down to 2%, I say, hey, can I borrow your battery pack, you know? But whenever we're in Christ Jesus and we walk in the light, we will have that power available to us all the time. And so we don't want to let our spiritual battery run low. And that's the reason why God said, I'm going to build my church. Because we now have this place of refuge that we can walk in the light, we can be in the light. Uh, we can uh, reflect on what we've done and how we want to get past that and grow closer together. And so uh, he provides us opportunities. He, he's given us as New Testament Christians a privilege he never allowed 
for any other group of humanity uh, up until the cross. And that is this great book. Used to be, it was very hard to be able to get a scroll to read, to understand the Word of God. But we have, you know, I've got a hundred of them in my office in four different languages. And so we have access to the Word of God. And we have church buildings where we can come and we can meet. And we have technology at our disposal. If I need prayer, I can text somebody right now and they'll pray for me. We have all these wonderful things. So it doesn't mean that it's going to be more difficult to sin, but it means that the devil has to up his game even more because we have things at our disposal that will help us be more spiritual. And so he's only going to confuse and confound us to make sure that we have every opportunity to sin, which is another reason why we need the church. Uh, we walk in the light together. And when we see somebody stumble into the darkness, we don't go, well, you know, you get what you deserve. No, we help them up. We bear one another's burdens. If your burden's too hardy to care, you come and ask somebody to shoulder the other side of the load. Just like Simon had to do with the cross. And there are some of us that we need a good Simon now and again that can help lift up the other side of that cross beam because it's hard to march to that top of that hill of Galilee. And some of us are uh, of Calvary. And some of us may be thinking about the glory of the resurrection. But in order to get to the resurrection, we all have to have our Garden of Gethsemane and we have to have our cross of Calvary. And so sometimes it's going to be difficult uh, to walk in the light. We're going to have difficult things we have to overcome uh, to stay in the light. So he says, now you are a slave of God, which sounds a whole lot better, right? Because God sees us as his friends. Uh, God has granted us all kinds of blessings that we can't even number. And so he says, wouldn't you be rather be a slave to righteousness and not to the law? Aren't you glad to be a slave of a God who is gracious? In other words, you're a servant of a God who's gracious rather than having a heavy-handed, uh, you know, heavy-handed person over you like with when you look at hell see what the devil's got up his sleeve i mean it says there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth it's the exact opposite of the pleasures of heaven that are described in scripture and so we want to be god's servant uh, for as long as we as long as we can here on earth and then for eternity life eternal and he says you're set free it's uh, the bondage has been laid aside chains are off and we're set free to live everlasting. And then the last thing here real quick, I, I said it was going to be the last thing, but one more, is verse 23, when he says the wages of sin is death. But the debt of sin is too great. In fact, it's so great that we're still going to die physically. That's part of the life cycle. But spiritually, we will not die again. We will not be separated from God. At the moment of our death, we will be in the presence of the Lord forever. Uh, it's kind of like what David envisioned in Psalm 23, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's what we want. That's the, the joy of being able to go to heaven for all eternity. All right, so let's pause here for just a moment. And Casey, do you mind? All right. I'm going to put him to work. All right. So what questions and thoughts do you have about Romans chapter 6? Uh, whether it be the subject of baptism or of sin or of the continuing in sin or of grace, Anybody have any questions or thoughts before I ask some? Anybody, anybody? Yeah, okay, Steve's got one. I like uh, chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, where, you know, the New American Standard says, What shall we say then? Are we continue to sin and that grace may abound? By no means. I like the way the King James Version says, God forbid. God forbid. Because this is one of those verses that you could use to, when people say, once saved, always saved. You know, it says, no, you shouldn't go on back to sin. Right. 
Because that's, that's the thing we keep doing. We, and the verse goes on to say, because we died to sin. Mm-hmm. We, were di- we were baptized into his death. Mm-hmm. He died for our sins. Mm-hmm. And because of him dying for us, we got to die to the sin. And you got to continue to work on that way. And I think it's on down, in, you know, I think it's starting in <laughs> verse 15 or so there. It starts talking again about this same aspect yeah. of dying to sin. And, it, you know, we can't keep sinning just so that grace may abound. Yes, we're going to be done grace, but it goes back to, are we really striving to not sin? Mm-hmm. Because if we're out there not striving, mm-hmm. are we really going to get to heaven someday? Mm, if we're good. out there not, not even thinking about, oh, we're, you know, who cares if I'm cussing? It's no big deal. Right. Well, God tells us not to, so if we're not striving not to, are we really going to be, get that, you know, well done, that good and faithful servant? Right. I think there's a lot of times we get to a point where we just kind of want to coast, you know, the self-control issue, being able to say no to things, we just kind of want to coast in. We, we don't want to have to make a daily decision, but that's what Christian living is, daily choice. And I'm glad you brought up the once saved, always saved. I know I've used some of these illustrations before. I apologize if they become redundant, but um, I've talked to people who believe that. And I heard a great debate between two uh, guys. Uh, they were Baptist uh, ministers. One was missionary Baptist, and the other one was more of a another kind of Baptist. Anyways, but they were debating back and forth about the subject of free will. And, uh, and, and once saved, always saved. And one of the guys says something about, well, I believe that no matter what you do, if you have claimed Christ as your Savior, you're saved for all eternity. And the illustration he gives back is he says, well, what if, what if you're a serial rapist? What if you're a serial rapist? And you, you say, I'm saved. So I could just continue doing what I'm doing, because I know I'm going to heaven. And he says, oh, that's an extreme view. And he says, I don't think so, because any sin is sin. If, he, if you're a serial killer or a serial rapist or a serial liar, or a, you, you fill in the blank. If I'm saved, then it doesn't matter what I do. And the guy finally, as he's back on his heels, goes, well, I guess he wasn't saved in the first place. Uh, I think, well, if he, if he went to church and he went through all the hoops and he did everything that that guy said he had to do to be saved, then uh, that's the case. And I do know that there are a lot of religious groups that like that thought, that all you got to do is one thing and that's it. And they go to the cross to say, well, Jesus died on the cross. And so his death, once you become a Christian, you don't, everything else is just kind of a cakewalk. You just, as long as you say, I believe Jesus is the Son of God, some people believe that's all you got to do is just confess and that's it. Then no matter what you do, you're saved anyway. And I'll tell you, I, I could not in good conscience teach that to children. I could not in good conscience teach children once saved, always saved. And say, do you love Jesus? Great. Now go do whatever you hoodlums want to do. Because you're going to heaven. So you just keep on. What'd you do? Oh, bless him. You know, that's, who could teach a child, go live however you want to live as long as you believe in God you don't have to worry about a thing. That's a, that's a terrible, that's a blasphemous way to live a life as someone who claims to be Christ, of li- like of Christ. Um, and so there are a lot of people that, that still hold that view. Now, there are others who've been accused of holding that view, and they don't, uh, because they, they teach about hell and being lost. But uh, that, is a, that is probably, of all the doctrines that are taught among men, that may be the most dangerous, is to just say, one event... And that's all you need. You don't have to keep walking in the light. You don't have to keep doing this or that. In fact, if I'm saved, if you're saved, once saved, always saved, do you need a church? Hello? Y'all with me? Do you need a church building? 
Do you need a Bible? Do you need prayer? You see, if I'm saved just because I believe, I don't need anything. I don't need any of that stuff. I mean, I'd, I'd be fine if I just confessed Jesus and that's all it's going to take. It doesn't make any sense. Um, and it's a, a very difficult thing when people say that's what they believe. Oh, it's, all you do is got to believe. Well, James says even the demons tremble and believe. The last time I checked, their fate sealed somewhere else. So we can believe all we want, but that does not mean salvation. The belief is, a, is something that starts the walk, but I've got to continue walking to follow the steps. I've got to do everything God has required. Um, Jesus even tells his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, he, he tries to emphasize to them the, fe- the fact that confession is needed. The fact that when you say, when he says this in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, <clears throat> there are many who say to me on that day, you know, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these great things? I never knew you. He said, I did, we didn't have a relationship. So it takes more than just the first act. It takes more than just going down to the water grave of baptism. It takes more than just saying on one day, I want to give my life to God. You, you have to give him your life every single day, a living sacrifice, which he gets to in chapter 12. What else questions, other questions you have or thoughts about that? Anybody? Yeah, Billy? And I forgot to bring my drink tonight, so I'm kind of dry. apologize about that. <clears throat> Galatians 5 verse 4 says, Whosoever you have justified by the law, mm-hmm. you're fallen from grace. You can fall from the grace of God. Yes. Uh, not, not living a faithful Christian life, but here's the answer to falling. First Peter chapter 5 verse 11, uh, verse, uh, rather verse, uh, verse 12. By Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I've written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. The answer to falling from the grace of God is standing in the grace of God. In Galatians 5, when Paul verse 4 said, possibility of falling from grace, he answers that in verse 1, stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free, be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Mm -hmm. He said the way to keep from falling is standing. Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he, what? Fall. Well, you can't fall from a place you've never been anymore. You can come (laughs) back from a place you've never been. And Acts chapter 8, we have an example of a man who was baptized and he tried to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit with money and he was told that his heart was not right in the sight of God. And he was told not to be baptized. He'd already done that, verse, to, verse uh, 13, I believe it is. But he was told to repent of this thy wickedness, that is the thought of trying to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit with money and pray. Right. Told to print. But in Romans 6, we, we normally use this, and I, I do it myself. And that's the reason I know we do it. I do it. But Romans 6 is all about past tense things. Mm-hmm. It's what they have done, and there is a reason. And the reason is, he said, notice he says, died to sin. That's past tense. We're yeah. baptized, past tense. We're baptized, past tense. We're buried, past tense. We're, we're buried, past tense. We're, was raised, past tense. Walk in newness of life. That's past tense. Been united together. Was crucified. It's all about what we have done. And, and of course, we can use it to show that we're to be baptized. Baptism is a burial and the like. 
But when we are baptized, the whole person is baptized. The whole man is baptized. We're to love God with heart, with all of our what? Heart, our heart's baptized. Mm -hmm. With what else? Soul. Soul, our soul's baptized. With what else? Mind, our mind's baptized. And our strength. And our strength, our strength is baptized. Every part of our life is baptized and we've died to sin in, in our life. Does that mean we're going to be perfect? No, that's the reason we need to keep on trying to live the Christian life. And I believe that 1 John 1, 7, as much as anybody, that if we walk in the light, that God will keep us clean in the blood of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I'm staking my, my eternal salvation in the life to come on that very thing. Amen. Did y'all catch that? Did you see all those references? Go back and look at this chapter. How many past tense references? I hadn't even thought about that. Have been, having been, you have, you were. Uh, that's awesome. It's a, it's a possession that you have, but it's all the things you've already done. So it's basically a challenge. You already have this. Now what are you going to do about it? How are you going to live now? So uh, we have to be grateful for what we've been given. Uh, it's a great, great thought. Any other questions or comments, thoughts? Yeah, Jeff? If you, you ever wonder why uh, people, worldly people, don't know or don't accept a scriptural definition of baptism, mm -hmm. all you have to do is look on the Internet. Uh, you look up baptism on the internet. I did it just a minute ago. I scrolled through page after page of definitions mm -hmm. until I finally came to one that was scriptural. Yeah. It's yeah. no wonder. Yeah, and there's so many words, biblical words even, that the terminology has changed. Mm -hmm. When you're looking at baptism, for instance, the word in Greek, baptizo, the word in Greek means to be fully submerged. I did a study one time. I haven't done it here, but I showed... Um, I think it was like 12 different places in Greek before uh, Christ. This is We're talking about Greek philosophy books and so forth, where the word is used and it clearly means, one of them talks about a shipwreck under the water. Another one is kind of gross. It talks about this guy that gets plunged with a sword and it says and he it was baptized up to the hilt. So you get the, the figure and all these words and all those Greek. It was never thought of as anything other than immersion until uh, the time of the writing of the King James Bible. Uh, though that word was always emphasized as a full-bodied immersion. Uh, but unfortunately, there are some who have not been immersed, and so when they translate the Bible, they transliterate. In other words, they take the word. It's kind of like, you know, I hate to use this exam example illustration, but I'll bet some of us may be guilty. Uh, if we've ever talked to someone who speaks Spanish, and I've gone to mission trips, and, you know, you can't figure out the word, you know, uh, El Caro, you know, you know, El Houso. You may say it. You go, well, I, I didn't mean that to be disrespectful. I just don't know what the word is. And everything in their language ends with an O or an A. So you say, you know, this is the churcho. You know, it's Iglesia. But what, is, what does it mean? What is it? And so what they did was they took the word and they just said, let's make a new word out of it. And they made it and said, now this covers anything that you want it to be. Uh, and there are other words like that, that in the Greek they have altered. It's not that they have taken away the, um, 
the intent, we can dig into it, we can see, but we have to learn and see what the word actually means in the Greek language. That's another reason why I truly believe that the best translation of the Bible has yet to be done. There are so many places where we could translate it just a little bit better. Um, love is a good one. You know, love, the word in Greek, we use it, we use love in the Bible a lot, but love's actually translated in four different ways in the Greek language that emphasize what the love action means, whether it's a, an erotic sexual love, whether it's a brotherly love, phileo, Philadelphia, uh, or if it means um, the, the form of agape love, true sacrificial love. There are four different terms that are used, and so we just see the word love. We don't see the deepest root in that meaning, and, uh, and that's one of the reasons why I remember when we were in school, I hated it, but our English teachers, I'm in English, I don't need to learn Latin. You know, I'm in English, but they would teach us Latin root to words, and I really missed out, you know. I don't know what I was doing during those classes, but occasionally I would hear things about Latin root, and so when we homeschooled our kids, my oldest son, Luke, took a Latin root class, and I was going through his flashcards. I was like, man, this is so cool. I'm learning a little bit about where these words come from, and there are some words that are lost in transition. There are words in our English language that we've borrowed from other languages. You know, if you go eat uh, Mexican food, you eat an enchilada, a taco, you know, a burrito, a tostada, you know, queso. You've learned those words. They're Spanish words that you've now made English words. Uh, and ro rodeo, you know, things like that. But there are other words that we may not necessarily know how to say it or interpret it, and so we create a new word to kind of grasp the meaning. And that transliteration of baptism, in, where it means immersion, into another new word called baptism, many people have misunderstood and unfortunately don't dig deep enough to see the true meaning of the scripture. But that's a good point. That's a real good point. And there are a lot of people that have different translations that say all kinds of things. There are some translations that are just, uh, they're not worth they're not worth the pages they're printed on. So we need to try to find uh, a Bible that is reliable, a translation that is understandable, but also sticks very close to the original languages. Um, I highly recommend any translation that's been translated since they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, where we can actually take uh, older documents or codex or take uh, facsimiles of certain uh, letters and books and then translated that directly into uh, our English language. It is a lot more helpful to have the old documents, not just a copy, a copy of a copy. It's good to have the originals. That's probably the greatest find in our history. A lot of people th think that the, you know, they found the, the Ark of um, Noah's Ark, and uh, I think that's a great, great find. They found chariots in the bottom of the Red Sea now where they know Moses crossed. They think that's a great find, but the greatest, the greatest find may be the Dead Sea Scrolls, where we can actually say so many of these uh, translations, early translations up into the time of um, or at least the copying of letters up until the time of uh, the King James Bible were done very, very effectively. And so we, we like to see that. It's all done exactly right. Uh, any other thoughts or questions about this? All right, so it's harder to walk in the light, but that's the most important part of being a Christian is standing and walking, not falling. I see a trans, there's a transition in verse 12. Mm -hmm. Therefore, is there for a reason, it point, it, it, he says, because of what I just got through telling you, this is what you do. Mm -hmm. just because, and, and he tells us in those first 11 verses that we, when, we, when, we, when you were baptized, you brethren over there in Rome, you died to sin. Mm -hmm. You, you, you were buried with the Lord in baptism. This is what you've already done. 
We've been united together in the likeness of his death, etc. And then verse, verse 12, therefore, because you did that, don't let sin reign in your body, that you should obey its lust. And, and, and then down in 16, 17, he says, there was a time that you were servants or slaves of sin. But after you obeyed the gospel, after you obeyed a likeness of the of, of form of doctrine, the King James says, obey that form of doctrine of the, uh, well, that does here in the new King James too, form of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, you were delivered, set free from sin, verse 18. Mm -hmm. And so it's a transition there, it seems to me. Absolutely. And I like that term, reign, because it lets you see, it's kind of, I think about uh, whenever you're, if you have cattle or if you have uh, if you're riding a horse to get the reins means to take control it says don't let sin take control of your body uh it was told me once you can't stop the birds from flying over your head but you can keep them from nesting in your hair and i think that's a great illustration is that sometimes we see things or we're around something and it may be all around us but we don't have to let it nest in our hair you know we don't have to let it stay there if you have a passing thought, let it be a passing thought. Don't let sin reign. Don't let it take the reins. Don't let it become king of your life. Uh, you have to choose, going back to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, you can't choose God and mammon. There's, there has to be a decision that either Christ is my king, uh, the, God is my Lord, or I am or somebody else is. And I have to allow myself to seek God first and put him first. He is the God who reigns and his thoughts are what reign in my heart. You know, we have to guard our thoughts, guard the intents of our thoughts. And that's hopefully what God is accomplishing by filling us with his Holy Spirit, that we should be drawn to spiritual things. Um, it's kind of like Velcro, you know, if you, if you or a magnet, you're magnetized to something, Velcro to something. That's the way we should be in Christ Jesus, is we should be drawn to him, and we want to be like him, and we want to do the things that he did, and touch the people like he did, and, and talk to people, and have compassion like he did, and that's what draws us, and that's another reason why we keep charged up when it comes to Bible study and prayer, and I, I probably say it every single time we're together, pray more, study more. You can't, you're never going to reach the end of your life and say, man, I just wish I had not studied the Bible as much as I should have, or I wish I hadn't prayed as much. You're never going to say that. Thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, visit our website at rayreynoldsrap.com. If you'd like to contribute to the show, content suggestions, uh, questions, prayer requests, or even if you just want to reach out to us, you can email us at rayreynoldsrap at gmail.com. Have a great day as you seek to maintain an authentic life in Christ Jesus. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible correspondence course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214.